TSX InfoSuite, that is something that I use on a daily basis to monitor the volume, who's trading the stock. Potentially markets adjust, prices adjust, and uh, it's important for issuers to understand exactly how that's happening. As an IRO, your communication strategy in those situations is so important because you need your existing investors to understand what is happening and what is causing this potential disconnect. Welcome to the Exchange Feed, a podcast series brought to you by TSX. I'm your host, Roy Wifwan, Manager Client Success based in Montreal. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring the factors that may affect your share price, as well as the support the exchange provides to reduce volatility and uphold the quality of our markets. Joining me in today's discussion to share their insights on the topic are Mal Kawowska, Vice President, Corporate Development and Investor Relations at Newcore Gold, a TSX venture listed issuer trading under the ticker NCAU, and our very own Zach Miller, Senior Manager, Market Operations, Equity Trading at the TMX Group. Welcome to the both of you. Thanks so much for having us on, Roy. Yeah, thanks, Roy. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. I'm so excited about our conversation today because it brings to light events that affect stock prices and the markets as a whole. Anyone who's watching the markets would attest to the fact that they can be quite volatile. I think the uh, the most uh, obvious reason is essentially demand and supply, right? That's essentially what affects stock prices and, and causes changes in stock prices as well as movements in the markets, um, which begs the question, what is the primary motivation behind an investor's decision to buy or sell a stock? Are these motivations fundamentally driven? Are they event driven? Or are they based on perceptions and beliefs or even a combination of all of these factors? Without further ado, I just, let's get right into it. Mo, what goes into your thought process when assessing the health of your company? Are there rules of thumb for your specific sector or industry? And what tools do you use in your assessment? There's, of course, several factors that you really need to look at. Uh, you know, some of the things that I'll point out, balance sheet and financial strength. I think it's really important to understand uh, how well cashed up a company is, for example. Uh, its management team and that team's track record. Is it one that has had shareholder wins previously? And what is the company's competitive advantage within the sector it operates within? And then, of course, understanding those parameters within the context of the industry that that company operates. So a lot of different factors you can look at. I'll focus on one specifically that uh, is one that we focused on at Newcore, given we're an earlier stage company that relaunched in mid-2020. We had a strong focus on improving our trading liquidity. So I think it's very important to have strong trading liquidity as a company because it attracts not just a retail audience, but also an institutional investor base. And it attracts a healthier shareholder base as well. You know, trading liquidity can help improve a company's ability to be included in an index, for example, which of course then can also improve trading liquidity. But being included in indices attracts a broader group of investors, including institutional investors. So, you know, how do you build that trading liquidity? I think especially as a smaller company, it's a question a lot of us ask is how can we improve that trading liquidity? And, you know, some of those items include you know, working with the TMX on market makers, uh, you know, as a company, you are provided with one, but uh, you can always look into adding to that analyst coverage, 
that helps broaden the investor awareness of your company. And then really investor awareness. That's really what it comes down to as well is whether that's through your analyst coverage, uh, the different conferences you can attend, or also uh, digital media. I think digital media is playing a much more impactful role these days as well, given um, how much more people are on their computers. But as well, you know, one of the ways that we do also measure that health, because you can identify what it is that you need to focus on, but then how do you measure whether you're improving it and how healthy you are relative to others or within your sector uh, is analytics. So TSX InfoSuite, for me, that is something that I use on a daily basis to monitor the volume, who's trading the stock, uh, and of course, monitoring our average uh, daily volume over the course of time and whether any of the metrics that uh, we're looking at are working, whether you know we've seen improvement because we are doing more digital media or whether it's because we're out there at a conference or we're seeing that uh, healthier trading liquidity. And then, of course, you do have to assess that relative to your peers, everybody's trading liquidity. I can't give you a number because everyone's trading liquidity will be a little bit more relative to their industry and the size of their company. Zach, I'm going to get to you in just a second. I just have one more question for Mal. Uh, so Mal, as an IR professional, how do you communicate the fundamentals of your company to your sell-side analyst? What inputs, if any, do you provide them to arrive at the recommendation or a share price? Yeah, so I think the biggest piece there is communication, uh, you know, being in front of those analysts so that if they're looking for any information, you're providing it on a timely basis. But within the mining sector specifically, one piece of information that is critical is the, you know, a 43-101 technical report, which is independent. Uh, that can be a very good source of technical information for our analysts. And then access to management, I think having, you know, the calls for us being on the exploration side with our exploration team, with our VP exploration is important. And then going forward, you know, once the reports, once an analyst is covering a company, I think the importance of communication can't be under um, undervalued because it's about consistent communication and timely communication. So on the back of all our news releases, for example, we make sure that our analysts are aware of the news, but also aware of potentially the key takeaways uh, and make sure that if they have any questions, they have access to our management team and quarterly updates with management and just making sure that if they have questions that we're available, but also of course uh, on the IRO side, reviewing those reports. You know, we wanna make sure that they have captured all the critical pieces that would help feed their recommendation and share price. That is an independent recommendation and share price, but we want to make sure nothing's been missed. So reviewing those reports is critical. That sounds to me like you've got a great relationship with your sell side analysts. Would you mind confirming how many sell side analysts you currently have covering your stock? Yeah, we have five currently. I think that really sheds light on our management team, which has a track record in the industry. But the fact that we've been able to with a market being on the junior side a smaller market cap having five analysts cover the stock i think really does support the quality of our team and asset that we have so let's turn the corner a little bit towards event driven factors uh, in our growth accelerator session on trading we highlight some of the factors that could cause volatility things like index events which uh mal just alluded to cash flow events hedge fund activity technical analysis trading shorts block trades even algorithmic trading you name it zach could you talk us through 
a little bit about the volatility events on a broader scale. Uh, for instance, things like inflation, interest rate hikes, uh, pandemics, you know, geopolitical uncertainties and all that, and how they're impacting stock prices. Yeah, thanks, Roy. Good question. Um, what you're referring to is really the macro events um, and how those may impact sort of the markets or stocks on a, on a bit more of a global level. Um, definitely, um, very recently, we've seen several of those um, going back to, uh, you know, March 2020, we've seen unprecedented levels of, of volatility and message throughput. Um, really stressors on the exchange systems, which which held up, were very robust um, and continued to enable traders and investors to transact. Um, we saw, you know, back then four market-wide circuit breakers in two weeks um, and a level one market circuit breaker, just for clarity, is a 7% move to the downside on the S&P 500 in a single day. So definitely you can see those macro events really, really impact trading um, uh, on a whole. Um, you also mentioned geopolitical events, um, definitely another area where, where issuers can expect to see um, some volatility in the markets. Um, we at the exchange will see, we'll see significant influxes in terms of message traffic and, and message traffic being new orders, um, trades that come into the market. Um, but markets adjust. Um, they'll adjust, they'll find new levels, um, and, and, and they'll set new values for those, for those issuers after that. Um, another good one, Roy, would be inflation, which we've which we've seen a lot of recently. Um, asset prices have gone up, which creates tailwinds for producers of those of those assets um, and a headwind for purchasers. So the markets will certainly adjust to those new levels of inflation, um, and it takes time. And, and you may see some volatility in the interim, but but as an exchange, we we have the robust systems and mechanisms in place to to help support trading through that. Um, also, Roy, we may see things such as micro events when we look, um, you know, news pending on a particular stock, news releases that come out earnings, um, even anything related to if it's, if it's a producer of an asset, anything news related to that asset changes in price, we will see, um, you know, potentially markets adjust, prices adjust, and uh, it's important for issuers to understand um, exactly how that's happening. And, and we at the exchange um, have mechanisms in place, like I said, to, to help support those trading movements. Thank you very much, Zach. I know you mentioned four level one circuit breakers in the space of two weeks during that period of the pandemic. Did the markets ever attain a level two or level three circuit breaker? I know I'm pushing it to the limit, you know, in terms of 13% and 20% drops in the S&P index. Was that ever observed during that exact same period? Yeah, Roy, uh, thankfully it, it never hit those levels. Um, it was certainly an interesting period, but, uh, but no, never hit the 13 or 20% levels. Okay. Oh, thank God for that. Um, so, Mal, I, I want to switch over to you. Um, I know that we've talked a lot about factors that have lit little or nothing to do with a company's fundamentals, which typically affect a company's stock price. Um, you know, that it's going to be, for me, a, a missed opportunity not to draw from your extensive experience. So have you ever had to deal with a huge disconnect between your company's fundamentals and the trading price of your stock? Do you recall what the event was, the impact on your stock price, and whether or not you had to employ a communication strategy to, to deal with it? 
Yes, of course, Ryan. It's a great question. Uh, you know, it's never fun to have to deal with with events that could have a negative impact on your stock price. Of course, sometimes the same type of event can have a positive impact, but uh, it just the thing I, I couldn't uh, highlight enough is that you really do need to have a communication strategy in place, whether it's for positive or negative event events that might happen that might have an impact on your share price. But I was working previously with a company that uh, was removed from an index and that index held in excess of 5% of the company's shares. So the index essentially does not decide on inclusion within that index based on fundamental value of a company, but rather on certain check boxes you need to fit. So in this case, it was a mining company and it had been included because it met certain liquidity thresholds. Uh, when those liquidity thresholds were no longer met over a certain period of time, the index you know, decides to remove certain companies. So they rebalance on a quarterly basis. And Zach can probably talk to this in a bit more detail after, after uh, I'm done with my example. But essentially, we were removed from the index, not based on fundamentals, but based on liquidity thresholds. So it wasn't a company or asset specific investment decision. And this selling pressure that the market knew was coming, because these indexes were balanced on a regular basis and the thresholds that you have to meet are well known to investors, means that there was a disconnect between the share price and fundamental value. We saw quite significant pressure on the stock price. And that was also because it's not just the index at that point that we know is going to be selling the stock, but you see a lot of trading that happens around the event. So, you know, we've got index arbitrage happening. We have retail investors who trade around these disconnects because they know that potentially these disconnects can be meaningful enough where they can make some money because there'll be a disconnect for a, a smaller period of time, let's say kind of six to eight weeks where there might be pressure on a stock and therefore you'll see it decouple from its fundamental value. So as an IRO, your communication strategy in those situations is so important because you need your existing investors to understand what is happening and what is causing this potential disconnect so that they can then make their own decisions, of course, but uh, understand that this might be a short-term pressure rather than reflect the longer-term potential of your company and your business model. Uh, so Zach, I think it might be interesting to have you comment on how this all works, because I'll, I'll be honest that when I experienced this, I had no idea how these indexes rebalanced, what I needed to be aware of, you know, part one of the things I took away from that experience was making sure that once you're included in an index is really monitoring whether you are close to those liquidity thresholds or not so that you can then hopefully be better prepared if you are going to be removed, uh, you know, with your communication strategy. But Zach, I think it'd be great if you could touch on just how that process works, because uh, I don't think everybody knows all the, the details and is aware of how, how you get included or removed. Removed is the not so fun experience. Yeah, thanks, Mal. No, definitely uh, um, being being removed from an index will create some selling pressure and some supply on your stock. So definitely a good idea to be aware of, of the indices that you're included in and to have an understanding of, of what that index provider um, may use as criteria for inclusion and exclusion to, to the index, just to be aware of in the situation where you're there and, and you may be close to being removed. 
um, I, I definitely recommend um, reading up and, and talking to that index provider about some of their, their criteria that they, they would use to make those changes. But index changes, they work both to the upside and the downside and being added, being added creates um, demand for those shares and being removed, like you mentioned, does create some supply and selling pressure. Um, you know, typically a, an index announcement will get made a week or two in advance of the effective date of the addition or the removal. Um, indexers will pre-position themselves leading up to the, the rebalance day. Um, so you will see some volatility likely in the market as you, as you approach, approach the rebalance day. Um, but on the day where, where the shares are getting rebalanced and the index is, is making those changes, um, a lot of, uh, there will be a heavy use of, of what's called our market on close facility, um, for, for facilitating that, that change. So, um, the TSX mar market on close facility really aims to provide equal access and opportunity for investors looking to source liquidity and participate in trades at the closing price. Um, you know, efficiency and accuracy in setting the closing price and really to reduce volatility at the close. So, so indexers will submit their orders into the facility throughout the day and then we'll, we'll transact them at four o'clock uh, setting the closing price. Um, which is which is where I'll be benchmarked and and removed or added into the index at, um, you know, just to, to talk about that a little bit further, um, we actually revamped our market on close um, facility recently. You know, taking into consideration three key um, th three tenants, you know. We enhance the transparency of the market on close facility by adding new fields um, for, for those imbalanced messages and increase the frequency of those messages. We adjusted the time to align with global standards from, from 3.40 when we started publishing to 3.50 now. And we also added a new, um, a, a new imbalance period for the freeze period to really allow um, to mitigate that volatility and prevent unexpected price moves due to the imbalanced messages. Um, so yeah, we, we've recently revamped that, which we, we hope will help facilitate even more um, liquidity into the close and, and allow those index uh, changes to happen as well. Before I get back to uh, Tamal to share with us a positive ex example, uh, I just wanted to just have one follow-up question. Uh, I know that you've mentioned the market of unclosed facilities, Zach, uh, which is generally widely adopted as an industry benchmark for closing prices in Canada. Could you confirm what the eligibility criteria is for symbols to trade within that facility? Is it all TSX listed symbols? Is it you know some TSX venture? What is the criteria for uh, for symbols to trade within that facility? Yeah, Roy, good question. So all TSX corporate issuers will be um, eligible in the mock and are enabled for the mock facility. Um, preferred shares as well. Um, ETFs, however, are not because we we may see a disconnect between net asset value and and the mock price. Um, and on the venture exchange uh, stocks, which are included in an index that is tracked by an, e uh, an ETF, are also eligible for for trading in the mock facility. Thank you for sharing that, Zach. I'm just going to go back to Mal now to share with us a positive experience, a positive example of the effect or the impact on her, her stock price. Thanks, Roy. So, of course, you know, it's more fun to be on the positive side of an event or, or event-driven news flows. So, of course, in the mining space, we do tend to see 
a bit more volatility around drill results, for example, because those tend to prove out a concept or a theory that a company has about its asset and the potential of that asset. And for myself, I have been fortunate to be part of some positive examples. But, uh, you know, with Nucor last year, we put out a very robust PA study, so a preliminary economic assessment study on our project, which was well received by the market. It had a positive impact on our share price. We traded up about 20% over the course of a week on very strong volume. So of course, we always like to see that strong trading liquidity. Uh, we traded about 8% of our uh, of our float, but it really highlighted the fundamental value of our project. And I think that solidified for some investors, the potential of our project. And I think it was very, very important for us to ha have a strong communication strategy in place for that. So whether it's you know a negative or a positive event, especially um, economic studies that a lot of companies are working on, it's really, really important to have that communication strategy in place because with any news flow, you really want that broad investor awareness of your news. So it, kind of looping back to the question around, you know, how do we have an effective communication strategy in these event-driven situations, I think it's very important to a have a strategy in place, uh, but then you know be organized. Make sure that you're talking to all your analysts, you're talking to sales desks, uh, you're trying to reach as much of a broad audience as possible. So covering those brokers, but also that digital media communications. For example, we did an investor webinar on the back of those results, so that there was a broad ability for people to ask us questions, not necessarily having to pick up the phone, but you know, a lot of investors like to see presentations and uh, communicate their questions over chat in a webinar rather than having to pick up the phone and talk to someone. So digital media, I think is just, it's building in, in importance these days. So it's really important to consider that as part of your communication strategy. So uh, yeah, lots of, it's, it's always nice to be part of a positive event. Uh, within a company, but I think communication strategy is just very, very important to have in place. Thanks a lot, Ma. That's great advice on communication, setting communication strategies, especially with event-driven uh, factors that may affect your stock. Zach, I know that you alluded to one aspect of your role, you know, when you talked about the market on closed facility, uh, you know, which helps support issuers to improve liquidity and manage volatility. Could you tell us, you know, about other aspects of your role that achieve a similar objective? Yeah, thanks, Roy. So uh, I lead the uh, operations for our equities markets here at, at TMX, which include the Toronto Stock Exchange, the TSX Venture Exchange and TSX Alpha Exchange. Um, you know, we have a mandate to ensure market quality while supporting our traders and, and providing technical support to our participants and our uh, trading community. Um, you know, that being said, we, we do have, and I alluded to this, I think, earlier, um, we do have mechanisms in place on our market to ensure market quality. And I just wanted to maybe detail a few of those. So um, including compliance features such as marketplace thresholds or price bands, price bands which are... Um, controls in place to prevent significant price movement in a short period of time. Um, we also have tick limit parameters, which, which sort of act as a protective mechanism for aggressively priced orders to make sure they don't trade through the, the whole market. Um, and we also support IROC um, with, with, with their circuit breaker mechanisms, which include single stock, 
um, which is a 10% move to the downside in five at five minutes or upside. Um, and market-wide circuit breakers, which is what we we touched on um, earlier. Um, we also have a, a market maker program in place on the TSX. Um, this is a competitive uh, program for our market makers to, to bid on stocks. Um, and the design of the program is really to, to augment liquidity, um, ensure that a two-sided market exists um, while maintaining uh, really a, a primacy of an order-driven continuous auction market. Uh, market maker will manage market liquidity through a mainly passive role. Um, so by creating a, a two-sided market um, and is really often only visible when the natural market forces are, are not there um, to support a li liquid trading environment. So they'll step in and, and help um, with that. So we, we certainly work very closely with our market makers to support that, that program. Um, they'll also service odd lots, which are orders of uh, usually smaller than for stocks over a dollar it's it's smaller than 100 shares um, which is really for the retail community to be able to to transact in securities um, similar to the market making program we have um, the odd lot program which for the tsx venture exchange um, which which is where we have odd lot dealers for that same purpose in terms of servicing those odd lots for for those undersized orders there um, primarily for the retail community and, and on our tsx venture exchange and then uh, <laughs> we also support the variety of other order types and features for our trading participants um, and allowing them to 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 trade on our markets Thank you very much, Zach. I know that we have definitely provided a ton of information for our listeners, but before uh, we call it quits, I just wanted to open it up to the both of you to share your final piece of advice to issuers around understanding stock price fluctuations and uncovering the true value of their stock. Mal, let's start with you. Sure. So, you know, I, I think I've harped on communication strategy quite a bit. So that's definitely one of the things that, uh, you know, it's probably a piece that IROs are already very focused on. But the analytics and the trading, you know, I think this has been a very interesting discussion. And Zach has provided a lot of interesting detail around trading and exchanges and the facilities and tools, Roy, that uh, the TMX provides in that learning center, I think, are a large benefit for IROs. So I think learning more about that side, I think taking the time to learn more about it because it helps you understand your trading liquidity, who's buying and selling, and how that might be influencing your share price versus your fundamental value, I think is worth taking the time. So I think that would be one of my pieces of advice as an IRO is to learn more about the trading side of the business uh, and taking that time. And then don't be too hard on yourself. I, you know, I come from a finance background. I only got into investor relations in the last few years. And I remember the first year it was a bit tough just because you feel like your share price is so strongly aligned with your work. And if you do excellent work that you should see that strong performance, but that's not always the case. You can be doing all the right things, but there can be disconnects for various reasons. Uh, you know, such as being removed from an index. Uh, so it's just, it's be kind to yourself, I guess. <laughs> if it's one of my pieces of advice, uh, just, uh, and, and continue, continue to learn because there's, there's a lot you can learn to then understand the, why there might be a disconnect. That's certainly reassuring. Oh, thank you very much, Mal. How about you, Zach? 
Yeah, just maybe to expand on what Mal said about communication, certainly opened my eyes a little bit here in terms of how important that is between an issuer and their investor base. Um, you know, with everything going on in the markets, it's important to always uh, be aware and, and get in front of that um, for, for an issuer, absolutely. But one thing I'd say is, you know, don't focus too much on the short-term trends and the, the peaks and valleys of trading. Um, around the price of your stock, both to the upside and to the downside. It's really easy to get wrapped up in every tick that may happen on a stock. Um, but if the core fundamentals are strong, if if and they remain strong and you have all the right uh, processes in place at your company and you're doing all the right things, the share price will eventually reflect that. So don't focus too much on the small stuff and, and really focus on the big picture stuff that you can control as a company. Mal, Zach, thank you both very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and I hope our listeners find this conversation insightful. Awesome. Thanks, Roy, for, for having me, and, and Mal, it was great having, uh, having the chat. Yeah, thank you both. <laughs>